0: Well God, we pray today that just that you would speak to us through the, through your word, knowing the fact that we celebrate the birth of our Savior, but God, we also celebrate the fact that our Savior lived, he lived a perfect life, a sinless life, even in the midst of being tempted just as we were tempted and tried, and yet there was no sin in him. and why, God, we thank you for that truth. we thank you for the truth that he went to the cross to bear the sins of the world, even those individuals who choose not to believe and not to put their faith and trust in him, he still died for them. And God, that is just simply that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. And so God, we thank you for that truth as well. But God, we also thank you for what we just sang about, that we serve a resurrected savior, a savior, yes, who was born just as we were born, except for he was born of a virgin. He was lived a life just as we have to go through life, but yet he was without sin. He died just as we will die. But God, we also know that he was resurrected and we can be resurrected with him as a result of him because of what he did. And so, God, today we pray that you speak to us through your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, you have to excuse me. I'm still getting over part of this, I don't know what it is, cold. It's kind of set in there. I've got an annoying cough that drives me nuts. Um, But I guess it is that time of year, right? So, Matthew chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 2, we're going to read along. And I want you to think about this. Christmas is supposed to be happy, right? It's supposed to be like a joyous time. We sing songs like it's the most wonderful time of the year. We sing songs like have a holly jolly Christmas. We sing songs about jingle bells and all of those things communicate that Christmas is time to, a, a time to be a joyous season, a, a season full of lots of fun and excitement, gift giving and, and receiving. But let me ask you honestly, is that what you experience during this time of season? If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to be following along. And as we follow along in Matthew chapter 2, we're going to see the story of these wise men, the magi. And I know what has crept up into our mind is, especially if you sing any sort of Christmas carols, is we three kings. Like there were just three wise men. That's, we, we don't even know how many wise men there were. We just know there were wise men. But listen to what it says in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, after, so what's that mean? Yeah, after, there we go. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Notice it doesn't say three. I know what we get, we get our great songs and we make a number of assumptions, but it just says magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to what? Worship him. They're making a statement here and we have to begin to focus in on this. And listen to what happens in verse three. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where the Christ is to be born? And listen to what they say, in Bethlehem. In Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written about. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and make a careful search for the child. And as soon, listen, as soon as you find him, you report to me so that I too may go and worship him, which we obviously know is a lie after being able to read the rest of the story. But verse nine, he says this, and after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they, saw the, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So here's what we're going to do as we dig into this text. I want to, I matter of fact, I kind of stole this. There's nothing uh, wise about it. There's nothing great about it. But my sermon title is Wise Men Still Seek Him. Nothing new, nothing original. Matter of fact, anything that's original usually been stolen and rebranded. All right. So Nothing new, nothing original about a sermon title, but I want you to remind yourself of this because the reality is, based upon the truth of what we see in scripture, is that wise men should still be seeking God on a consistent basis. We look for God in everything. We look for God in his word. We look through God in his, or for God in his creation. We look for God in other people as he's working in their lives. And so all of those are opportunities for us to see how God works. But I wanna ask you that question. Are you experiencing true joy over the holiday season? Because a lot of times we could say no. For some of us, it's personal struggles keep us from experiencing joy. And I know we began to touch on the joy issue some last week, but for others of you, you feel like it may be a, a crisis mode. One after another, you're running from crisis to crisis. As a matter of fact, recently I've been dealing with uh, some individuals, a number of individuals, and, and that's one of those struggles. It's crisis after crisis after crisis. As a matter of fact, your pastor last night was in jail. Not literally, but I was visiting someone in jail, all right? And this is one of those things that sometimes things come up as a result of what goes on in our life, and so we begin to struggle. We begin to look for hope. We begin to look for value and intent, but listen... Disappointment at Christmas is not an unusual thing. It's actually fairly normal. A lot of people struggle with disappointment at Christmas. It may be disappointed in relationships we have with family. It may be disappointed in the gifts you got, or maybe it's in the fact that the gifts that you're giving are gifts you would rather not give because you'd rather give something nicer, but you just can't afford it. But a lot of people struggle when it comes to joy in the Christmas season because disappointment is not unusual. So what can you do this Christmas to, bo- to avoid being disillusioned? All right, Because I think that that's one of the things. A lot of times we are disillusioned. We're distracted. We're disappointed. And everything goes on. And I believe that in today's section of Scripture, we can identify the answer. And the answer is found in the story in Matthew chapter 2 about the Magi. We don't have to be disillusioned or disappointed, but the attitudes of these wise men and the events that surrounded their journey, we see can raise our level of joy. These wise men sought out the very king that they had heard about in the past. And so if you remember anything, I want you to remember this. Matter of fact, before I give you the key statement, I want you to remember this, that the message in Jesus' birth is meant to bring certainty in uncertain times It's meant to embolden our faith, to teach us the truth of God's power and the extent of God's love, all right? You get that again? The message in Jesus' birth is meant to bring certainty in uncertain times. It is meant to embolden our faith, to teach us the truth of God's power and the extent of God's love. That's the reality of what we do. So we remember those ideas. If you remember this from this week, I want you to remember this. When we seek out truth, we will find Christ and we will worship with joy, When we seek out truth, we will find Christ and we will worship with joy. So that's the reality of what ends up taking place. I think a lot of times the reason why we are so disappointed and disillusioned in Christmas is because we're not seeking out truth. We're seeking out everything else. It may be gifts. It may be acceptance. It may be relationships with family, which, listen, I understand are important. But the reality is when we seek truth. We will find Christ and we will worship with joy. So here's the question, and it goes a lot off of what we did last week. How can we experience joy not disappointment? How can I experience joy not disappointment? And number one is this. Alright? I think you have to begin to seek the true king. In verses 1 and 2 he said the following. After Jesus was born. So Jesus has already been born. This is a big thing. A lot of times we think, okay, appeared to the shepherds, Jesus is born, Magi show up. Shepherds are there, Magi. I mean, matter of fact, if you watch any of the movies, usually it's like there's the shepherds, there's the wise men, they're all together. You know, we got the, I mean, matter of fact, if you have a nativity scene at your home, who's there usually? <coughs> shepherds and who else? The wise men and the animals, right? But this says after Jesus was born, all right? Most likely sometime. As a matter of fact, some scholars say as much as one to two years later. So Jesus might have been two years old before the Magi ever got to the situation that they were in here. But that doesn't matter in reality. What matters is the truth we can learn from here. And so they seek the true king. So after Jesus was born in where? Bethlehem. For those of you who don't know, Bethlehem back then was very insignificant, very small town. Um, not, you know, known for being shepherds and things like that. Sorry, I hate drinking like this. I, I think it's disrespectful, but at the same time, if I know it, I'm a cough, which is even more disrespectful than a microphone. So, but we all know the story about the wise men, but there's a lot that we don't know. We don't know for sure that there were three. There could have been more. We don't know what country they came from. And I read recently this week, and I thought it was very interesting, the reality, we do know they came from the East and the possibility that they came from Babylon. As a matter of fact, if you know anything about the, the Old Testament, Babylon, Daniel, and, and, and some of his buddies were carried off into captivity to the Babylonians. All right. And as a result, most likely, Daniel, in his position of influence, as he gained influence over, most likely told people, told these wise men, remember the wise men who were going to be killed, right? Because they couldn't interpret the dream. All right. Daniel tells them about the coming Messiah. He knows the Old Testament. Daniel knew the law. And so, most likely, he was possibly a person who could have influenced these wise men to see the big picture, to know the prophecy. And look, They were known as being astronomers, all right? But they were also into astrological speculation. So they were more or less your horoscope people. They read the stars. But these guys come out and they're looking for the true king. And what the beauty of it is, is that when we see the truth of what it says, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, you got to keep in mind the prophecy that takes place in Micah chapter 5 and other parts in the, New, the Old Testament that talk about the coming Messiah coming, being born in Bethlehem, a great leader coming up and rising out of Bethlehem. You got to keep in mind the prophecies of Isaiah where it talked about he would be born of a virgin and, and all of those. And so they begin to ask this question. And they ask this question to the most interesting person. Because they go to basically the king of the area, King Herod. (laughs) I mean, to a certain extent, you can kind of see the arrogance. I don't don't want to call it the arrogance. Maybe the, the sarcasm of the wise men. Like, hey, we just showed up in Jerusalem. Like the key area, this important city where King Herod lives and we approach him and we're like, hey, where's the king of the Jews? Like, what's Herod thinking in reality? Yeah, I'm right here, dude. You know, and I could almost honestly, you know, seeing this maybe played out like, no, 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 not you. Not, no, we're not looking for you. We're looking for the one that was just born. The one who's going to rise to power, the one who's going to rule over the nation of Israel. And you can imagine how Herod begins to well up inside and begins to feel like, what the heck's going on? Matter of fact, as I began to investigate more on Herod, it kind of opened my eyes to a number of things, but they begin to seek the true king. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east, possibly Babylon, came to Jerusalem and they asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Here's the important thing to understand. The reason why Herod would seem so offended by what's going on is because Herod was not born into royalty. Herod usurped. He became ruler based upon a number of political decisions, much like what goes on in the United States government to a certain extent, all right? He made wise political decisions and key allies, and he rose to authority because the Romans put him in charge of the area. And so Herod becomes king of Judea. And here they are asking, where is this king of the Jews? And of course, Herod's going, wait a second, hey, I'm right here. And the wise men's question has to begin to make us go, who am I truly seeking? Because the reality is what they're doing is they're looking for the true king, the rightful king, the king that is born that way, not the one who usurped authority, not the one who took on the king of the Jews as he thought he was, but the one who was born as the king of the Jews. And so Herod begins to, in his mind, plot out a retribution The plan that he would take out Jesus. And so Jesus, when they do this, Jesus is seen as the Messiah by these gentlemen, by these magi, by these wise people. What we do know is they were seeking the king of the Jews and they were acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah when they say that. Hey, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And here's why. Because it said, we saw the star in the east and we have come to what? Worship him. They are seeking the true king, first and foremost, above everything else. And so in the midst of what goes on in your life, I want to ask you that question. Are you seeking after the true king? Are you looking for an opportunity to worship Jesus in each and everything, in each and every opportunity you come into this holiday season? Are you looking at it as a form of being able to worship? Or are you looking at it as a form of, oh, it's just another thing I got to do? Because I'm telling you over and over and over again, even as a kid, when I got disappointed over Christmas, my disappointments were not in who Christ was or what Christ did for me or what God offered me. My disappointments were always based upon gifts that I either A, didn't receive. And I already told you that story about the Sears catalog. You know, the gifts that I wanted, I never received. My biggest disappointments were usually those. My biggest disappointments were times where I wasn't with family. 1990, well, 90, I guess it would have been 95, Christmas, in port, in Hong Kong, Christmas Day. I remember I called my parents, Merry Christmas, they're like, it's Christmas Eve, what are you talking about? Because we were 18 hours ahead of them, like, well, it's noon here in Hong Kong, 6 p.m. your time, they were getting ready to go Christmas Eve service. And I'll never forget that. But those are the things. Some of your biggest disappointments will be built up on that. But when you seek the true king, listen, you won't be disappointed in Christmas. Christmas is just the beginning of, listen, it's the beginning of the completion of the gospel. You get that picture? It's the beginning of the completion of the gospel. And so we seek the true king. Number two. How can we experience joy? I think we have to spend time in worship. Everything that we do should be based upon worship. Worship Jesus. Everything that we do should be based upon worship. That's why I am of the opinion that a Christian should be the best baker, the best mechanic, the best electrician, the best AC repairman, the best pastor. I, you, you get the picture, right? I think the Christian should be the best homemaker. All right, in other words, taking care of stuff. I think the Christian should be the, the most polite especially in restaurants. I think they should be the best customer service representative. I think Christians in everything that we do and when we respond in an act of worship should be completely done that way. So if I lay tile for a job, I lay tile for the glory of God. If I sing for a job, then I sing for the glory of God. If I teach a job than I teach for the glory of God. And everything that I do is an act of worship to God, everything. And I love what they say there, you know, with their sarcastic question, where's the one born King of the Jews? Could you imagine, honestly, could you imagine just being some wise person, some astrologer and you're walking into a city that you've probably most likely never been to and you go to the King and you're like, hey, where's the King of the Jews? It's like a dig, a little poke in the back, like rub his nose in it. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, I'm not a graceful winner sometimes, and my wife really isn't. When she beats me in anything, it's like, ha, 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 you know what I mean? It's like that's what the wise men, to me, in a certain sense, are doing to Herod. But I love what they do. And they said, because listen, and they even tell it to Herod, we saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. See, the wise men acknowledged him. They were seeking the true king. But this great truth of this is that Jesus is not just, is not just for Israelites. He's not just for the Jews. The truth of the matter is that Jesus is for all nations and all people. And that's the beauty of the gospel, that it's not based upon solely the Israelite people, but it's based upon everybody. And so the wise men, these magi who come to worship him, they've come to worship him, are showing the beautiful picture of the gospel, that Jesus is for all people, not just some. He didn't say a select few. He says, I died for everybody. Do you believe in him? Have you put your faith and trust in him? Have you ever noticed how we will spend hours, days, even weeks looking for the right gift? But we spend very little time seeking out Jesus over the holidays. So Matthew's gospel, and here's the beauty of this, Matthew's gospel over and over and over again, if you know anything about the gospel of Matthew, it was written to Jewish believers, written to Jewish people, all right? Every intent for Matthew is to let the Jewish people see Jesus as the Messiah, what he came for, why he came, what he's doing. And here Matthew begins to show what he's going to wrap up in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, 20, where Jesus says to go and make disciples of what? What? All nations. And so when we seek Jesus, when we... Look to worship Jesus. We can go and make disciples of Jesus. Why? Because here are the first worshipers who are court magicians. They're they're astrologers. And yet what are they doing? They're seeking to worship Jesus where he's at. And look, we know the story. If you've been a part of the story, you understand that they were part of the bigger picture that God wanted to communicate to them. But listen to what ends up happening. See, in Isaiah chapter 60, verse three, it says this, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. So Matthew is just simply adding proof to the Messiahship, the Lordship of Jesus, and he shows that he's the Messiah. Matthew is showing this to the Jewish people who would have been looking at following Jesus. And he's saying, look, here's how Jesus fulfilled the prophecies that were told to you the very scriptures that you knew. And so the Magi come seeking to worship Jesus and that is a beautiful story. So when we seek out truth, keep in mind, they were seeking the true king, we will find Christ and we will worship him with joy. The reason why we should worship him with joy is because of what Jesus does for us. See, these Gentiles, these unclean people were at a point where they realized that they were coming to worship the true king, the one true king. And so in order to experience joy, we seek the true king and we worship Jesus. Number three, how do we experience joy, not disappointment? Number three, listen to this, disregard trouble from people who don't wanna worship. Disregard trouble from people who don't wanna worship. All we know all throughout is that Herod had some problems and you would have problems too if you were king. That's the reality. You have somebody show up and go, hey dude, guess what? You're about to lose your throne. Back in those days, those were fighting words. Matter of fact, that person probably wouldn't have, that's why I'm surprised the Magi even made out of the room. Like in my mind, I'm thinking Herod would have just been off with their heads. It's over. But instead in verses three through eight, we see King Herod and he says, he was greatly disturbed in verse three and all of Jerusalem with him. And here's the reason why. What is Jerusalem made up of? Anybody know? Pharisees and Sadducees, who else? Jewish people, right? People who were born under law, people who grew up under law, people who were waiting for a Messiah, but the rabbis, the Pharisees and Sadducees and people like that said that Jesus wasn't going to be it. They begin to acknowledge that this is the problem and this is the issue they begin to have. But we disregard people from, or disregard trouble from people who don't want to worship. The wise men set out to worship, but Herod set out and had planned it out to create problems and conflict. See, they had planned it out from the beginning, right? Because it's not like they went out and said, oh, hey, wait, you know what? We got to bring gold or we got to go find gold and incense and myrrh. What do they do? No, they brought that. I guarantee you they had planned this out. This was not something simple, something easy. They had planned it over a consistent long period of time and they were moving forward. And I want you to understand that Herod was troubled by the arrival of this child who had the rightful claim to the throne. Matter of fact, let me unpack just a little bit for you. King Herod was king of Judea, right? We've already talked about that. He's king of Judea, but the Roman Senate, I told you earlier, gave him the right to be called king of Jews. They put him into power. And he ruled, a matter of fact, if you look at it, you look it up, he was born in 73 B.C. He lived to 4 B.C., all right? He ruled from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C., all right? In the midst now, for those of you who are putting that together, if Herod was alive when Jesus was born, zero is not when Jesus was born. You get the big picture, right? Go home, look it up. You just have to check it out. Trust me, all right? Jesus was most likely born between 4 and 5 B.C., Okay? So when we begin to understand what's going on, he was a shrewd ruler. He was very smart. He was a brilliant man. That's how he rose to power. He laid oppressive taxes and labor on the Israelites. And so we get this tentative date of the birth of Jesus between five and six BC. But listen, as Herod grew older, he became more paranoid, increasingly paranoid about the threats against his person and his throne to the point where he had his own family members killed. So it's no light thing to think about, well, hey, he just set out to destroy all the boys in Bethlehem because you'll know what happens. He sets it out. If you could read uh, the end of chapter two in Matthew there, you begin to see this picture. And a lot of people say, well, there's not any mention of Bethlehem and these boys or these, these kids being slaughtered back then. But the reason was, remember this, Number one, Bethlehem was insignificant. Number two, Bethlehem's population was very small. So when they start talking about killing all the boys in Bethlehem who were under the age of two, I've seen low as numbers as anywhere from 15 to 30 kids. That wouldn't be something that would be racked up in history because it was an insignificant town. And it's not like we have access to everything nowadays. You have something go on where 15 kids get killed and it's all over the news. Out there, it would have been completely different. And so here we have (coughs) Herod, (coughs) who is becoming increasingly paranoid. He hears this of the Magi, and he begins to freak out. Matter of fact, if you know anything about Herod, Herod passed his kingdom on to his sons, Archelaus, who was tetriarch of Judea. Herod Antipas, which if you know anything about the New Testament, matter of fact, you can go and read about him in Luke chapter 23, Herod Antipas is the one that Jesus stood before. The son of Herod the Great, Herod Antipas, is the one that stood before Jesus because Herod Antipas was overall in charge of Galilee. And so when he stands before Herod Antipas, Herod says, hey, I'm really interested in this guy. I've heard about him and find out about him. He asks Jesus a question. Jesus says, it is as you say it is. And Herod then begins to mock him and guess who wraps the, the robe around him? So the very Herod... That was alive most likely when Jesus was born, now rises to power because his dad passed power down to him. Is the very Herod who is now also responsible for the death of Jesus. Now keep in mind, these are two Herods. Herod the Great is the one we're reading about here in Matthew 2, Herod Antipas, Matthew or Luke chapter 23. But these are stories you begin to tie together and you have to understand that people who are threatened by Jesus do not want to worship him. Anytime, anywhere, people who are threatened by Jesus do not want to worship him. Even, I'll even bring up a couple that I've dealt with a number of people on. Uh, there's a guy named Christopher Hitchens. Anybody ever heard of him? All right, good. Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins are two foremost atheists probably out right now on, a, on an academic stale. Christopher Hitchens wrote a book called God is Not Great and, and writes about how religion po- uh, poisons everything. And Richard Dawkins wrote a book called The God Delusion and talks about how irrational thought or how much irrational thought it takes to believe in God. And what we begin to see is why are things like this important to those people? And I believe it's this, the reason people want to kill or destroy God in the birth of Jesus is because he's a threat to their belief system. And so what we begin to see is we have to disregard trouble from people who don't want to worship. We live our lives being obedient to what God has called us to do as king of kings and Lord of lords. He is a threat to their belief system. He is a threat to their kingdom. He is a threat to their power, and they don't want Jesus to attempt to take their throne. That's the big picture. And so the question would be, do you want Jesus to take your throne? Are you willing to give Jesus your throne? Are you willing to offer up everything you have for him so that the life you live is no longer yours, the life you live is his? And then the last thing we see in order to experience joy, not disappointment, is this, that we should offer sacrificial gifts to Jesus. Now, before you go on and think about maybe it's tithing and stuff like that, while I believe that is something to look at. That is not the main issue, I don't believe. The main issue is that these wise men, these magi, were overjoyed when they saw the star in verse 10. And on coming to the house, it said, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they what? They worshiped him. And then, as a result of their worship, they offered, guess what? They offered these sacrifices. They offered sacrificial gifts to Christ. And I know everybody, I'm not going to go into the gold and incense and myrrh thing. It's probably been, you probably heard it over and over and over again, but they offered them very valuable, they offered Jesus very valuable gifts. Invaluable, even, to the point you could say, where you couldn't put a monetary effort on it. But worship, listen, worship is more than the songs we sing on Sunday. It's the life we live during the rest of the week. Worship is my response to God's love for me. That is the simple act. Everything that we do, whether it's Sunday morning or lay in tile or teaching or whatever it is, everything we do is my response to God for what he's done for me. Every bit that I sing, that's why you will hear me say over and over and over again, we're not going to get caught up in the style. Not going to happen. As long as I'm pastor, I'm not going to let that be the priority. Style is not the point. The point is, what are you singing? How is your heart? What's your heart reflecting? If you are caught up based upon the way the song goes and not listening to the words, you're missing the point of worship because worship is built around everything that God has done for me. Worship, and this was our famous saying in our church in Texas, is not about me. It never was about me. That means that worship is not about making me feel comfortable. Worship is not about making me feel liked. Worship is not about making me happy with the way the music is going. Worship is none of that. A matter of fact, some of your greatest points of worship will be that you, when you are at your worst, when you are at your lowest, you pour your, how, out, your heart out to God in response because of what God has done for you in the first place. That's true worship. And so when we respond with worship, we offer sacrificial gifts to God. A matter of fact, John Piper, who's a pastor up in the uh, Minnesota area, says this worshiping Jesus means joyfully ascribing authority and dignity to Christ with sacrificial gifts. So we acknowledge, we ascribe the authority and dignity to Christ with our sacrificial gifts. And he says this, the magi ascribe ascribe authority because they call him the king of the Jews. The magi ascribe dignity by falling down in worship, falling prostrate. They are joy and authority and dignity of Christ, and they prostrate themselves, and they bowed low in worship. And so they offer As a result of their worship, then, they offer these sacrificial gifts. And here's the beauty of the New Testament. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, this is Paul talking, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, listen to this, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, This is your spiritual act of worship. So let me ask this question from a very simple standpoint. In order to experience joy rather than disappointment in Christmas, I want to ask you this. Are you offering yourself as a living sacrifice to God? Because we look at the three wise men or we look at the wise men and we, we listen and we hear the story over and over and over again and we think, that's great, that's awesome. Gold and frankincense and myrrh and, and we get all excited and we sing the songs, We Three Kings of Ori and and we've got all of this stuff. But I want to ask you this question. If you sing it, but you don't offer your body as a living sacrifice, are you really worshiping God? Because based upon what we see in the New Testament is No. Because what it would be said was this. With their words, they praise me, but their hearts are far from me. And so in order to experience joy, not disappointment, we offer our lives as living sacrifices because that is the very thing he's called us to do, that we offer sacrificial gifts to Jesus because he has something greater for us. I want to leave you with this quote. and This is how we're going to wrap up. N.T. Wright, a theologian and scholar, author for today, says this, The closer you get to the truth, the clearer becomes the beauty, and the more you will find worship welling up within you. The closer you get to the truth, the clearer becomes the beauty, and the more you will find worship welling up within you. See, the truth of the matter is when we talk about all that we've just talked about is the question of this. Do you seek Jesus first? Do you worship him? Don't give people the trouble. The people who don't want to worship, don't give them the time of day. That's fine. You can invest in them. You can love on them, but do not listen to them. Don't let them talk you out of worship. And then the last thing, do you offer your life as a living sacrifice? Because that's what it is. As the wise men, as those magi approached the child, it says they worshiped him and then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. So the question is, have you presented yourself to Christ as the sacrifice? That's the point of the story. The story that is told is the reality that we are all called to seek after him. We can all seek him. We can go after him. And I I go back to the statement of the title of my sermon that wise men still seek him. If you want to be wise, you seek after Jesus. If you want to be wise in your own eyes, then you'll seek after your own glory. Let's pray. that there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to destruction. And God, we know that your word is truth. We know that your son is the answer to our sins. We know that he was born perfect, righteous, as born of a virgin, so that that sin line wouldn't be carried through. But God, we also know the truth, that he lived a life, he was tempted and tried in every way, but yet there was no sin in him. He went to the cross to bear the sins of the world and got on that cross. He paid the price that we couldn't pay. But God, we thank you for the fact that he did not stay dead. He died on the cross. He was buried, but he rose again and he offers us life. And it's a simple act or a response of worship, that God, we may worship with our words, but if we don't worship with our lives, then we miss out on the true point of worship. May we offer our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you, because we know that's our spiritual act of worship. God, would you use us? Help us be people of influence and impact in our jobs, in our community, in our schools and in our homes. And God, may we see the reality of what happens when we are obedient, when we live with our lives as sacrifices, we are obedient in taking the gospel, the good news to those who've never heard. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through this closing song. And that God, we can understand more about who you are through your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And here's what we're gonna do. Lysandra's gonna sing a special If you've never acknowledged Christ or you say, hey, I need somebody to pray with you, I'm gonna be up here, I'm gonna be sitting down. If you need somebody to pray with you, to encourage you, to to talk with you, um, we'd love to do that. It doesn't have to stop here. When the song's done, we'll be dismissed. We'll close in prayer. Um, If you have any questions, you talk to me afterwards. But I just wanna encourage you to experience true joy this Christmas season.
1: I heard about this baby boy who came to earth to bring us joy and I just want to sing this song to you It goes like this the fall, the faith the minor fold the Major leave with everything Just as the angels said, you find.
0: Hey, don't go anywhere yet. Um, here's what I want to do. I'm going to close out a little differently. We're not going to pray. We're going to pray that. So I'm going to ask you to stand where you're at. And it's going to be your simple prayer. Because if you don't know what the word hallelujah means, it's a combination of, of the, the verb to praise. And Yah is short for Yahweh. So it's praising God. All right? Let that be your prayer. So I'm going to have Lissandra just play that last uh, part there. I know you came to rescue me. And let's sing that as our prayer as you'll be dismissed. <laughs> I know
1: you came to rescue me, this baby boy will grow to be a man, and one day die for me and you. My sins will drive the nails in you, that rugged cross was my cross too.